0: Hiya, folks. This month, we have a few words from Maudlin's very own Professors Cecil and Tolkien, the incomparable Bruce Busby. Also, this time round, instead of Alexa and I actually doing our own little individual sections, um, Alexa came up with the rather novel idea um, that we should actually interview each other. Um, so, take it away, Alexa.
1: Episode 4, Jin and Jin. For years, I didn't know what gin was. I kept hearing gin and tonic. I had no idea what it was. I'd ask my sister. She's the expert in alcoholic beverages.
0: Ah, you! Gin! Look! That sort of, um... Ah, oh, it, it, it's basically, it's a white spirit elixir made with juniper berries. And yeah, it's about as sickly as it sounds. <laughs> Give me a Yorkshire bitter any day.
1: Well, to be perfectly honest, I'm a single malt scotch girl. So, that's what I always ask for. On the rocks. Sorry, I do adulterated. Back to the other sort of gin. If you could have the three wishes what would you ask oh and just a note i'm recording this although it's behind the scenes for i'm recording it on dysgŵeil which is st david's day and it's our national holiday whoo party
0: good choice on the whiskey there alexa um i must admit i'm more of a brandy man myself though rock on on the st david's day recording though um any excuse for a good party in my books I <laughs> am um, three wishes though. Hmm. How about a wish for more wishes? <laughs> um. Seriously though, um, this might sound a little dull, but I don't think I'd wish for very much at all. Um, in all honesty, um, I've got a terrific family and great friends. Um, so I, I think I've kind of got everything I need. Um, I might just wish for good health and. Uh, Maybe world, uh, world peace. Um, but then again, I did say I wouldn't wish for much.
1: <laughs> I'm a little more difficult if I were to wish for something. Probably more swords. My home collection's fairly good. I almost have a complete set of armor. So probably a couple of different swords that i don't currently have and some more shields can't have enough of those (laughs) let's see oh yes i would love to have certain books that i have to keep going to the library for including the original pearl by an unknown author in the middle ages and the exeter book i'd love a copy of the exeter book in the original and third wish, hmm, la la la, that's tricky that is. have about a new monitor? Because right now, I have a computer monitor from probably the first colour one ever. Because m- my old new one <laughs> died. <laughs> a tragic death. So, yes, I would like any monitor made at least after 1990. That would be a step up at this point. <sighs>
0: <sighs> <laughs> That's quite a collection there, Alexa. Um, what exactly would a girl do without some swords and a suit of armour? <laughs> very cool. Very, very cool collection. Um, hope you get the uh, the new monitor, by the way. And the books, of course. Um, but uh, back to the subject of Maud, um episode four. Um, can you give us a little background on Jane, Alexa? Um I've just done a little bit of internet research, and um, I believe the djinn uh, were derived from Arabian folklore, um, sort of the old name for genies. Um, some of the jinn were rather evil too, I made reference to one of the djinn as actually being um, the Lord of Darkness, or described as anyway. Um, mind knowing me, I'll have, uh, of course, gotten this completely wrong. <laughs> and your inspiration will have come from somewhere totally different.
1: <laughs> well, you may have noticed that the evil magician in the story is searching for the Jar of Solomon. That is Arabic for Solomon, who is said to have had power over the jinn. There are many different sorts of jinn. The information on them is so extensive that one could collapse under it. (laughs) It has been some time since I originally researched the episode, but I found it all rather overwhelming due to the volume and varied nature of the myths from different locations surrounding them. It is true that in some legends, certain sorts of gin are considered evil. In most, they are created of fire, or fire runs through their veins and yes, in one myth, which is the one you mentioned is that the devil was a jinn this was a later myth and was incorporated into the Quran text but I did not address that particular aspect I did, of course, as I said, include the Suleiman reference but that was due partly to Charles Williams' influence. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he was one of the Inklings. So this episode is vaguely a tribute to his book, Many Dimensions, which covers a sort of diadem of Solomon. Although that's Solomon, not Solomon. It's the later Solomon that was part of the Ottokar... Empire, I believe, but, yes, it's a different Sullyman, however, that is n- neither here nor there, <laughs> and we're off topic again. Uh, yes, the gin's here, or rather the djinn here, is m- probably more the Indian sort than anything else, I'd say he's closest to the Indian myths of the djinn. And I just remembered Solomon the Magnificent was part of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, Though Charles Williams was not entirely clear, it might have been referred back to Solomon, but you can't really be sure. If you've read Charles Williams, you know what I mean. He's just daft. He's... I don't know. (laughs) Uh, He's unique. Let's put it that way. Aha!
0: So my research uh, wasn't that far off after all, then. (laughs) Um, Thanks for the information there, Alexa. Um, Fascinating stuff, of course. Wow. (laughs) I don't know what you mean about the wealth of information on the gin, though. Um, I put the phrase gin in a search engine and found literally thousands of hits for me trouble. Um, it, It was, you know, really difficult to try and narrow it down to just a couple of sites to... To, um, to look at for my research for this particular episode. Um, quick question though, uh, what sort of magical powers are the djinn sort of known for? Um, I assume they're not all punished to lamps of course, <laughs> like, the, like the Aladdin references.
1: The magical powers of the djinn vary quite enormously depending upon what sort of djinn it is. There are several levels of them. And depending on the location and mythology is how many levels there are. Some um almost have unlimited power. Others can do very little really. And yes, there's only one true reference to a djinn being captured or rather controlled by an object, and that I believe is in regarding to a ring, but Yes, the Aladdin reference was somewhat later, although it's a lovely story in A Thousand and One Nights. I prefer the one where she uh, drops the oil on all the robbers, but yeah, I always wanted to hear that one over and over when I was small bedtime story. Not quite sure <laughs> why, it's a bit disturbing. I this is a good time to mention that I do not do any research online. Um, I believe this is a throwback to my university days where they did not allow any online references and I have a fantastic library at my disposal as an alumni so I'm always going over there and the librarians tell me I'm the only alumni that comes back to the library. And they sometimes refer to me as Hermione because I stagger out with stacks of large books that were published before 1900. So, so, yeah.
0: Thanks for that, Um, Alexa. um, Interesting. Um, I was especially intrigued to hear of the, uh, (laughs) the one genie that actually is in a lamp. (laughs) that's uh, very cool on having such a great library nearby Um, Hermione though, what a great name (laughs) the other problem I've discovered as well with um, online research um, is that there's basically just so much of it on the web and uh, some of it's inaccurate as well um, in my opinion Um, okay Um, This has kind of raised um, a rather intriguing question from me to you, Alexa. What are the various processes that you go through as a writer uh, when sitting down to pen an episode of Maud? Um, I'm assuming that you kind of start with some research on the uh, mythological characters. And what are the various processes involved? You know, like in terms of uh, character and plotline development... Um, is this something that you sit down and actually plan out? um, Or is it more of a natural sort of thing for you?
1: Well, first, to decide what's going to happen in an episode, I listed out the entire year, so there's 12 episodes per year, and they are seasonal. So if it's February, it relates to that. If it's June, it will be something summer-related. If it's November... It'll be winter related and so forth. I all What I did was I wrote down the location. So it might have said February Greek, March, I don't remember what it was, Norse. So I wrote out various cultures in order to mix it up. And then I thought about what mythological characters could go for those cultures. And it's always a balance between something unique And also something that will work in audio. Some of the beings are rather complex and obscure. And you'd spend half your time describing what they looked like. And that's not good. So once I had what character it would be. Or what creature. Then I did the research. So if you have say the Valkyries. Then, when I was writing that episode, first I went and did all sorts of research on them. And as I went, I wrote down anything that just seemed interesting to me, or that I thought I could make a story out of. For season two, there was one I came across, which was a magical swan. And there were two different myths I was thinking of, and ended up combining them. And... So I don't entirely plan out the episode, I'll start with something such as, for the February, Aphrodite. I simply wrote something of Aphrodite and Ares appear and Worsley is affected and falls in love with Sophie Roberts and Ares goes about attacking people and that's all I started with. and. I always write out of the top of my head, sort of, so I don't know what's going to happen exactly. I start with a blank sheet of paper and I stare at it and I think, what would be a good intro? So first I think, where are they? Where are they in the college? And for example, they might be on the lawn, so I think about when I was at Magdalen myself and I was standing on the lawn. And I would sort of picture myself there and think, all right, we have the three characters and they're sitting there. What would they be doing? For example, in one episode with Hercules, one of them is eating an apple and Wesley's studying. And I just have this picture of them doing whatever they are doing. Then I simply let the characters speak for themselves, in a way and the rest, it literally just comes out there's no particular way I do it it just writes itself things come to my head and I just write them (laughs) not very exciting there (laughs) so yeah, I just look at the blank sheet and uh, write Most of the episodes were not written on the computer. Uh, They were written on pieces of paper. And (laughs) the funniest one was I was waiting for a business meeting. And so I had all these extra business cards with me. And it turned out it was an hour later than I had thought. So I went outside and I sat there and I wrote the entire episode... Which is the mystery episode with uh, the Banshee. And so I I wrote them all on the backs of my business cards. So I have around 30 or 40 business cards with tiny mouse writing on them of the entire episode. (laughs) Which I later typed in. (laughs) Yeah. So... I suppose I have a question for you now, which is... How do you come up with all those sound effects and the ambient sound? It really really makes you feel like you're in the location, so how do you come up with that?
0: Ah, so sort of um, planned, but uh, mostly natural. Um, Interesting. I must admit, you kind of uh, had me chuckling there on the business cards anecdote, Alexa... <laughs> um, quick tip um, look out for a toilet plenty of paper in there normally and uh, <laughs> I've, no- I've now just conjured up images or a- certainly a vision anyway of an entire episode of Maud written on loo roll <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that folks um, I'm really glad to hear that the ambience and effects have the uh, desired effect and that you find them absorbing as well, Alexa. Um, that's kind of the best compliment anybody could sort of pay a producer. Um, anyhow, um, to answer your question, um, on an episode of Maud, um production starts uh, usually with the script. I'll study that at length, uh, picking out what sort of sound effects to use from the prompts. Um, I'll then study the locations themselves and... Uh, look at pictures of the actual places themselves um, to get a flavour for them and uh, I really do try to immerse myself um, quite a bit. Uh, And finally I research the uh, mythical characters and try to figure out how in my own mind um, exactly how they'd actually sound. Now back to the ambience Um, I'll I'll start with some wind sounds or street scene um, type noises um, initially and then gradually build it up um, by adding various noises um, over the top of that, um, like church bells, for example, books, peacocks, cars. um, Sometimes, like in, uh, for example, the cloister corridor scenes in uh, episode three, I'll also add a touch of an effect um, to the voice actors' voices um, to give that sort of echoey quality as well. Um, So the ambience is very much multi-layered, and uh, actually fairly dense. Now uh, many of these effects um, are also in stereo, and I also pan the additional sounds sort of left or right, um, to give a sense of space within the mix. Also I'll make sounds sweep across the speakers as well quite a bit. Um, I I really do like those sort of stereo cross pans, I'm kind of quite fond of those. Now, many of the actual sounds um, used on MOD um, are kind of stock footage type sound effects um, from my own SFX library. I must say, though, where I have used these, um, I'll tailor them all um, so that they're kind of quite unique to MOD. Quite a lot of the sound effects are also custom created, however. I kid you not, there's been times when I've uh, disappeared upstairs to my studio with half the contents of the uh, cutlery drawer. Um, I wanted some sword sounds. Um, So (laughs) I marched upstairs with the biggest knives I could find and no one even bat an eyelid in our house. (laughs) I've also gone outside with um, sort of a small portable recording device. Uh, to gather footsteps sound effects as well. The best example of one of my uh, custom effects though, is uh, one I've called the Alexa effect. Um, you'll hear it on every episode of Mod, um to mark the transitions between the intro music and the beginning of the actual story, and also at the end of the story as well, um, between that and the um, end credits. The script uh, originally described it as a a magical sound based in nature. Um, So I overlaid um, a lightning bolt um, over running water and rain and then added a flange effect to it um, to give it that really sort of odd character. I'm kind of hoping that the effects um, on each episode of MOD really give it that sort of distinctive vibe. In spite of me uh, having a post-it note... Um, <laughs> attached to my computer monitor saying in big red text, don't overproduce um, I still find myself overdoing things and uh, having to go back over the mix um, if there's too many effects in there. <laughs> Great fun though.
1: Thanks for that and brilliant job on all the atmospheric sounds. I, It's quite amazing. And we have not yet touched on Robert Rackham, who is the private investigator. And frankly, I listened to a good deal of Blackjack Justice with Decodering Theatre. It was how I originally got into audio drama. It was a very long story, but it was through Decodering Theatre, I would say and that's a vague tribute to it and the name to be honest it's from tintin uh red rackham's treasure and so i just changed it to robert <laughs> yeah not very original there but it's just a fantastic name i couldn't help it i mean robert Rackham. R-
2: Greetings. This is Bruce Busby. I play Lord David Cecil and J.R.R. Tolkien in Maudlin. I got my start designing and building broadcast audio and video equipment for companies like Ampex, Sony, and Abacus. After people told me I had a great face for radio and a fine voice for newsprint, I stubbornly gave voice acting a try anyway. I snagged a few roles particularly accented ones, including a Texan starship captain and the part of Zeus in a well-directed humor piece. When I saw the audition posting for Maudlin had openings for Westbrook, Atherton, you just told the god of war there's no need for violence, and Ares, And now, mortal, you will die. I figured I stood a good shot. But, in for a penny, in for a pound, so I rounded out the submissions for all the parts, including the deep-voiced, mumbling Tolkien. Imagine my surprise when I was selected to play Cecil and Tolkien. I was doing fine and enjoying playing the kind of person who would happily interrupt a lecture to take up a handily-placed sword and pursue a dragon before it had a chance to do anything unhygienic on the president's beloved lawn. Or, for Tolkien, playing a latter-day Demosthenes who hasn't sussed out what to do with those pebbles in his mouth. What with Alexa's writing and Stevie's production skills, things perked along fine until episode four. I opened the script to discover Tolkien mumbling what looked like war and peace, except in Welsh. Without Alexa recording an exemplar, it would have been impossible to perform. After much rehearsal, the dog now looks at me funny when I say, and hand him a biscuit. Got through all that and then, hey, presto, discovered a missing line. Dear Lord, Cecil Sings. I was starting to feel like the French horn player at a Wagner concert. Okay, song sent. My panic was quelled. I hope the result was worth the anxiety. What can I say? This show is a great challenge and a bucket of fun. I'm grateful to Alexa, Stevie, and the talented cast for making this a great ride. Cheers! (laughs)